This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Our guest is Blake Daly. Thanks for being on the show, Blake. Hey, it's awesome to be here, Whitney. The first deal we bought was a house hack and we rented the extra unit out with Airbnb. So I saw that as a strategy we could gain higher cash flow and we're in a good market for it. And then when we did our first births, as my wife and I, we, we did all the work ourselves, stayed up till midnight, two weeks straight doing this rehab. And this had two units and a pool. So we created this. This is our first Burr and B. And I like to put that name to it. It's the Burr with Airbnb at the end. And you just rent it as a short-term rental. And this house, because it had the two units, we created three listings. So we had the main house, the guest house, and then the third listing would be the whole place together. So you could rent it for big groups. And it had a pool. I mean, really good looking property in a good area, close to the beach and all that. But that wasn't the one you were house hacking, right? Or it was? No, this is the second one. So now okay. at this point, we've got three short-term rental units, cash flowing really well. And then in the mid-2019, we added four more. So now we're up to seven. And once we got to that point, we're up in cash flowing, the listings are running. And now that is surpassed my W-2 income as a Air Force officer. So in pretty short amount of time with a low number of units, you could say seven units and three long-term units right now. We're at our, I guess, financial freedom number, which has replaced my W-2 income. So congratulations, by the way. That's incredible. I mean, it, it is. It's incredible. It's what most are dreaming of. We all did at one time, if you're not already there. And I know they didn't come without a lot of hard work. I appreciate you saying like you and your wife did that first burr and you did it together. And can you just shine a light into that a little bit? You and your spouse doing this together. I'm sure it wasn't always easy. Were you always on the same page? You know, was her vision the same as yours? Tell us a little about them. Yeah, so we were kind of opposites and I drug her into it. During this whole time, she's been getting her doctorate. She just graduated in December with her doctorate in physical therapy. So while we were grinding to build up this portfolio, she was also grinding to get her doctorate. So, you know, a lot of credit to her for <laughs> allowing me to do this. But yeah, I think that has been a struggle and like a area of conflict for us. And we've been dealing with it better, but it's definitely just trying to support each other. And she's been great and I should be better to support her more. But yeah, I think starting out is just showing her this vision of where we could get if we got this number of properties and got this number of cash flow and on and on and on and just trying to show her that. But her whole thing was I didn't go to school for real estate. So always an uphill battle and we're still trying to figure out how to do it now. But now that we have kind of more systems in place and have the managers, it's a lot easier on us and she can focus on her thing now as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love hearing, you know, just some of the the real stories behind some of that because I live that myself and uh, my wife has just been amazingly supportive. It's been amazing. But I know you have to kind of paint that picture for the whole family. Yeah, we, whole we family. definitely don't deserve our wives, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. No doubt about that. But, you know, house hacking and doing the first burr with her, just congratulations to you both and just making that happen. Because obviously she had nothing going on while getting her doctorate, right? Like she wasn't busy at all. <laughs> yeah, she know. had nothing but free time. <laughs> right. So how quick then did you get enough properties or close on enough deals to gain that financial freedom number? And then I want us to talk about just your path then from that to syndicating. So we closed our first deal, the first house hack in July of 2019. And this was at the end of July and like by the first week of August of 2020. So really 12 months, 12 and a half months, whatever. We had 
all the properties up and running, all the new Airbnbs up and running and cash flow and guests coming in, you know, Airbnb payouts coming. So really 12 months. And that sounds like a short amount of time, but I can attest it was a long 12 months. There's a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings and a lot of work went into it, like probably 90 hour weeks. And that's not the path for everybody, but it's just what I wanted to do. And I had this goal and wanted to get there. How many units was that? In those 12 months, that was 11 units. Seven of them were short-term. Three of them were long-term and one we're living in. And then from there, we started... Well, really kind of before that, in kind of about the time that you came on that show, like on the Mastermind, it was probably April, March, April timeframe. Kind of when COVID hit, I kind of reevaluated the business all the time that I was doing my real estate tasks, all the time it took me to close these deals. And all the time I was spending on maintenance on all my properties across the county now. And it was just taking me a lot of time. I saw a lot of inefficiencies there. And through that kind of had this realization that I could do less work by focusing on less transactions. And I was wholesaling as well. So I mean, the high volume kind of stuff. And because of that, I saw commercial multifamily as a way to do less transactions, have bigger payouts and have the time reward be more and just economies of scale, really. I mean, that's you hear that all the time in commercial multifamily is scalable and there's efficiencies built in. So that's where I started self-educating and putting the systems in place that once all those deals wrapped up in that August timeframe, focused a lot more time to the commercial multifamily. And that's what led me to syndicating my first deal now. Why not continue doing short-term rentals just like you've been doing since it was so successful? That's a question I've asked myself and it's been kind of this internal conflict because I do really like the strategy and the market that I'm in is really great for it. And I'm actually doing another one right now. I got an eight unit that I was supposed to close on Monday, but the sellers give me a little headache. So we're dealing with that. But this is an eight unit in Fort Walton Beach in a good area trying to close on that. And that's going to be eight Airbnb units, you know, a big burn B. That's massive when like 11 got you where you're at. And then you're going to like more than half that just in one deal. Yeah. So I'm still doing both because now for the Burr and Bees and especially in the local area, I have the systems in place. I have the property manager. I have the contractors, really everything I need now. So with syndicating, my role in this deal anyway, has been more of a capital raiser investor relations deal. So really, I'm not the day-to-day operator spending a bunch of time, but vetting the deal, bringing capital to it. So that's kind of allowed me to balance these two acquisitions that are really a week apart from each other now. How'd you finance all the short-term rentals? So for the short-term rentals, like I was saying, is, is like every way of creative finance you could think of. So we have used hard money. We've used private money. We used seller financing. Really anything at our disposable. I read Brand Turner's book, the book on investing with low and no money down. And I've done like everyone out of there except a loan assumption. So from the very beginning, I knew my own capital was going to be an issue. So the goal then became to find really good deals so that I could find private or hard money one of those creative solutions and then burr the money out, give the investors their return back. And then I'm holding on to the property with fresh debt on it. That's in my name, cash flow. Nice. No, that's awesome. And then, I mean, everybody wonders, right? Because that's one of the difficult parts is getting financing for that many deals. And so moving forward with the short-term rentals, has the financing changed at all? Or has that gotten easier? What does that look like? Because I know that's a common question. It's like, we want to get to syndication. However, it's hard to get started and gain that financial number like you have. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question because that's a question I get from other people trying to do the strategy too, is like, how do I get financing? I can't get a bank, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac won't loan on short-term rentals. So what I've done to overcome that is I have a local community bank of credit union that 
does commercial loans in-house. They have portfolio loans in-house. So then it's, you know, my loan gets submitted to the person that I've been talking to. I have the relationship with, they know my business, they know what I do, and they've seen kind of my track record of doing deals. So by finding that local bank that does commercial loans, I've been able to overcome that. And then as I've talked to other people, they've been able to do the same thing and set up that kind of financing. So I think in the beginning to get to that number and to find really good financing, especially if you can create the relationship is with local banks. What about managing? Are you self-managing these or are you hiring that out? So I started out that way and me and my wife did up to three ourselves, and we had the systems in place. We're using all the you know management tools and doing well at it. But still there's that ongoing guest communication and just involvement that me working full time and spending an equal amount of time investing just didn't have the time to. So we kind of learned everything that we wanted by self-managing and then handed it off to a property manager, I think in September. Is that someone that's specific to short-term rentals or is that just like a local manager who's used to managing smaller residential? Yeah, they're specific to short-term rentals. I'm actually changing right now to a local manager. The one I'm, I was using was out of the market, but had the systems to manage everything. And I had my cleaners already. So we just paired those two. But the cleaner I'm switching to now is more specialized to this market as the systems and the people in place for me to be more hands-off and oversight rather than in the day-to-day. Alex, welcome to the show. You you are one of very few short-term rental people I've had on the show who are actually syndicating short-term rental projects and developing, I would consider pretty large, uh, you know, short-term rental properties. I I think it's a very unique business model that you have. I'm looking forward to getting into that. I want to ask you, why short-term rentals, you know, versus, uh, you know, I I guess, why did you start to focus on short-term rentals? Not, you know, not like this moment as far as in the market cycle and everybody focusing on short-term, like you just said, but why did you gravitate in the beginning to short-term rentals versus say buying that triplex, fourplex with your VA loan and just renting them out long-term? What was that about short-term rentals for you? Just looking behind you, we have a lot of similar books on our bookshelves um, in terms of with real estate too. So I sat down and probably read at that time, like at this, at this point, I probably read like over a hundred real estate books. But at that time, maybe about 30 or 40 real estate books. Only one of them was geared towards short-term rentals because there were there wasn't really too much information out there on them. What I realized was like reading the multifamily books, reading the the flipping books, reading the, the single family house long-term rental books, the cash flows were like, you're lucky to get anywhere between three to $600 cash flow per property. What I was seeing on the back end of like some of these people who I was reaching out to, the types of cash flows they were getting, it, it wasn't even close. It was like owning five to 10 single family houses compared to owning one cabin. So that's what, when I looked at my goals and where I wanted to be at at that time, I was like, the way to fast track that is through short-term rentals. But I think that is why so many people have gravitated towards it in the last three years is because they've realized how much these short-term rentals can actually make, especially the unique ones, like the ones that are cabins, A-frames, or some type of, that are unique in terms of like this design, if they're like condos or something. So people have just real, I mean, the cat's out of the bag, like they, they cash flow phenomenally. Um, and that's that's what and right now it's like with there being like a shortage of inventory and, and a lot of people coming from like the long term rental side who are saying, hey, I just want like a 10 percent cap rate. I'll be happy with that. And I think that's why prices have been driven up a little bit. But yeah, just the cash flow to answer the first question. OK, no. So it was really that simple. I mean, it ultimately, you notice just more cash flow. But but tell me about then the process of uh, just the being able to scale it. Right. I mean, it sounds like uh, I don't know too many people or maybe anybody that I can think of right off that scaled short term rental business 
where they're developing a ten plus million dollar project, right, uh, around short term rentals. Uh, you know, speak to. I mean, it's interesting that your first project was a development, and maybe you can start there. Maybe some. You know, why was the first project a development, and how did you know that that was something you could tackle uh, to where you're scale? You know, and then move into scaling to syndicating these same types of deals. Yeah, I didn't want to purchase a property that was just a normal house that I could just put on the short term rental sites, which still do pretty well right now. And all the properties that were either cabins or something unique about them that would do well as a short-term rental, they were just way too expensive compared to... I had a builder friend who ended up building uh, my first project. Um, we had like just figured out like price per square foot and everything. The, our first project was an A-frame. And it was like a 900 square foot A-frame that grossed like 81,000 last year and then netted like 50 grand. That's sort of why I gravitated towards the development side was that. It was like at the time we could build them cheaper. And I, even right now, it's obviously things have gotten way more expensive with COVID and stuff with like both both labor and cost of materials, but there's no inventory for short-term rentals right now, at least in the hot market. So it, it still makes sense to develop the short-term rentals over over just purchasing. So did you, uh, you know, like even that first project or even to now, uh, but especially that first one, how did you know or have confidence in what the land was, you know, the value of the land was and, and you know, to that knowing that, hey, we can go build something, uh, you know, with, uh, with things that are happening with materials and uh, material costs or shortages, you know, where did that confidence come from to say, you know what, I'm I'm going to buy this land and we're going to move forward with developing this. Yeah. So my first one was around like 2017, which I, when I started looking for the land, uh, I leaned pretty heavily on my real estate agent. To, and this is what I always tell people is figure out like what an acre goes for in your area. We're, we're developing in more rural areas, maybe about 15, 20 minutes away from the city. But we also live in an area that people are used to driving. So like it's a drive-in city or airport's not really that big. So they're, they're comfortable making that drive, especially like we're known for like hiking trails and waterfalls and stuff. So people are used to driving 45 minutes to an hour to even get to these locations. Figuring out price per acre is a big thing uh, starting off and then figuring out like price per square foot with your builder. From there, just I, I keep saying unique properties, but like unique properties is what's going to market your property very easily on the short-term rental side. So I say Instagrammable properties is what you want. Like people who are excited to stay in your house where it's not just a place that they're sleeping, where the property is an experience in and of itself outside of like the city that they're visiting to. Nice. That's something to think about, right? Right there, Instagrammable property, uh, but the unique property experience. I like that versus just the, the surrounding, the things that you can't change really. Uh, you can change that property. You, you mentioned that you started driving around, you're looking at 30, 40 properties or more, you know, just to buy one, but there was really this best use of time issue, right? What is the best use of time? How did that change? Like, how did you change that to where you're not driving around looking at 50 properties to buy one? What, what happened there? One was, I mean, I got real estate development mentor to sort of help me really focus in on what my goals need to be or where I need to be, what I need to be doing right now to where I need to be at maybe in a couple of years. When you start purchasing some of these larger parcels. I mean, it, there aren't as many of those on the market as say like maybe one to five acres. Um, so like, I mean, take for instance, like there, there would probably be at any given time, three to 400 of those like acre to five acre parcels on the market compared to like where we're purchasing anywhere between 40 to 100 acres right now. There's only maybe like 60 of those on the market. So a lot of the times I'm looking at, I won't even drive out to the property without doing my research on the computer. And what that looks like is we live in the mountains we operate in the mountains. So we're looking at how steep the land is uh, through our county website. And then they have certain parameters that determine if we're going to be in something called a steep slope ordinance or a protected ridge ordinance that we usually don't build in because it takes way more time to get 
extra permits. And then it also costs more to like the foundation when we're building at a certain elevation. So that's one way to completely like just decide if we're going to, I'm even going to drive out to the property. And another thing too, is making sure for people who are actually wanting to do this themselves, or if they're looking to purchase property, the drive up to the property is very important. You don't want your guests to be driving 20, 30 minutes down a gravel road. You might see a listing and you're like, this is absolutely beautiful. Like, why is the price that way below market or whatever? More than likely, it's probably going to be the drive because you don't want your guests to be annoyed by the time they even get to your property. A lot of times they're driving in at night, it's going to be a new area that they're not used to. So once I decide to go out and look at a property, that's the first thing on my mind is like, what's the guest going to be thinking about as they're driving to this property? So a way to fix that is just to invest some property that's off of like a double lane state maintenance road, a paved state maintained road. And then you can put in your own road, like we'll put in anywhere between like quarter mile to a half a mile of road to get to the house. Nice. No, that's some great things to think about. And I, and I want to get into some of those specifics in a moment too, about uh, just short-term rentals, some tips that you have. But, you know, can you share an example of, of a deal you're syndicating maybe, or some some things uh, that to consider, maybe the listener's thinking about syndicating, you know, some type of short-term rental, or this is intriguing them, you know, speak to uh, maybe a current project or a past project that you syndicated, you know, and, and what that looks like, you know, the type of plan maybe in the, you know, what type of buildings are you putting on there, homes or, you know, what are you, what are you building? For the people who are listening, just under like on the syndication side and raising money for development in general, like just understanding that there is more risk involved, like especially with like with coming out of COVID now, or at least like things settling down a little bit where like things can go wrong. Like there is more risk there, but there is more reward. That's I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing. But when it comes to the syndication side, I mean, we're, we're raising the capital just like a normal syndication. And just I mean, I've leaned pretty heavily on the multifamily model to establish what we're doing here. Our very first, like, I guess, larger joint venture that we did was $2 million project, uh, six cabins right next to each other and where, where the investors had put up almost all the capital. And uh, it, it was just a trust thing. I'm mean, just with just with multifamily or anything, it's just making sure that your investors trust you, that even if they're accredited, just making sure that they understand the process up front. You need to understand the process and that that comes from like if you need to get a specific permit with the county, like we needed a, a specific vacation rental complex permit with our county. That took about three months. So just really under like really making sure that you understand what your county or city requires for short term rentals. That's probably the most important thing when it comes to syndicating deals like this. Being upfront with your investors and telling them, hey, like it's going to take this long to develop these projects. Are you comfortable with that? Like having your money tied up there. It's not like a multifamily project where probably will cash flow right out of the bat if you're not doing any rehab work or even if you're updating some of the units the most of the units are still rented out or something so it's not like hitting the ground running with stuff like that and we do invest in properties where like it'll be like a cabin and maybe there's like 10 to 15 acres attached to it where we'll maybe have plans to develop another 10 cabins next to it it's more like a break-even thing where like our holding we do break even on the holding costs for the whole development project like i said before we started this interview it's, it's just it's very creative and every project's going to be different that we do with our investors so yeah, such an interesting uh, model. You mentioned like maybe only 60 properties like that on the market. That's what, like, what would you say, 40 to 100 acres, roughly. I mean, is that like nationwide? Is that like in a certain area that you're looking? That's within our county. Oh, in your county. Okay. Yeah, in our county. Yeah, which is still a lot. That's a good number. To, but again, like I would say 
70% of them are in that steep slope ordinance that we we're talking about. And then we also have plans on getting the, the beauty about the mountains is you can drive an hour any direction and you're in a completely different market. Like hour and a half to us is like Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, the Smoky Mountains and stuff. So we do have plans on getting into other markets that I've identified that I believe are an up and coming. Um, Asheville's very competitive right now in terms of both properties and land. Yeah, we do. We had, we do have plans on getting onto other like mountain markets that are within hour hour and a half to us. Which I mean, there's probably about ten of them, and then we we've I've looked at two of them that I've decided to go into. So awesome. Uh, speak to maybe the market selection there. Uh, you know, how do you know that it's a market that you're willing to you know go buy you know 100 acres in and start a development for short term rentals? Yeah, I forgot where I heard of it, but people like views and people like being up top. Like they like being high. Like say like in New York, like you go to a sky rise and you like looking down and like looking at like a scenic view. So you want to invest in a market that's pretty scenic. I've realized mountain communities, this may be excluding the West Coast, but mountain communities, mountain cities are a little bit less seasonal than say like beach towns. Beach towns, like like say like if you're looking at the coast uh, in North Carolina, like in the Outer Banks, that's a little bit more seasonal than say like here in the mountains. We're, we're a year round market. We have, our, we have our high season, which is going to be later summer and then the the foliage or the leaf season in October, November. For the most part, like we, we cash flow pretty good throughout the whole year. So mountain communities, there's like three steps. It's like you want to be in a cabin when you're in the woods. You want a hot tub and you want a mountain view. That's sort of the three things that we look for. So it's like obviously hot tubs are pretty easy, but the design of the property and then also some sort of scenic view. Um, one thing I always tell people that ask me that question is you want a foolproof way, honestly, is to invest in areas that are close to a national forest or a national park because you already have a built-in audience that, that are already visiting these parks. Like, I mean, with COVID, like uh, the national parks saw like record numbers in the last couple of years. Like, I think that uh, Smoky Mountains alone saw like 20 million visitors. So there, there's a shortage of inventory there um, in terms of like where people want to stay at. They might be staying in a boring hotel just to be able to stay in the Smoky Mountains. That's probably the, the quickest way to answer that question is look at markets that are close to national forests or national parks. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 